Hello and welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast for people who are curious about how to have a more fulfilling work life. We live in a world largely driven by numbers, logic and reason. But how we feel at work and about our work impacts us, our organisations and society. There is a relationship between the numbers of our organisations and the life beyond the numbers. I'm Susan Michrielon, your host. I've lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't. People who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. But one thing that I've learned that is common to us all is that we are all unique and have unique experiences. And it's helpful to know that there are others who think like we do, or have had struggles too, or have gone where we want to go, or can show us things we didn't know. So join me and my guests as we place a lens on the human side of work life by sharing insights, stories and strategies to inspire you to let your uniqueness shine. Hello and welcome to episode 147 of Life Beyond the Numbers. This episode is going out on Saturday, September 30th, 2023. And for those of you who listen regularly, you might be aware that I was away. I had a break. It was a long overdue break, I must say. And I just felt about ready to start my holiday when I was coming back home. I am refreshed however and it was lovely to see some friends and family as well while I was away. And while I was away my book Leading Beyond the Numbers How Accounting for Emotions Tips the Balance at Work was in with a development editor and the publisher for review, the first draft manuscript. And I've had my feedback and I still have plenty of work to do. My next deadline is the end of October. So that's going to keep me fairly busy over the next month. September 30th, 2018, I arrived in Santiago de Compostela after walking from Lisbon. And I've never really written much about this experience. I kept a journal while I was walking, mostly. And I did a short post on Facebook on my return. And of course, I talked to friends and family and anyone that would listen (laughs) about it. But over the last few weeks, the Camino has just kept coming up in conversations and also Two of the people that I met on the Camino, Phil and Caroline, were walking it again and I was following their journey with interest on Instagram. And so I thought maybe it is time to reflect on those four weeks I spent in Portugal and Spain in 2018. So let's start with some numbers because the post I did when I returned from the Camino on Facebook was all about the numbers. It's funny, not about the life beyond those numbers, but about the numbers. I did a post, 10 fun 
in inverted commas, facts about the Camino. Number one, over a million steps recorded. Number two, 638 kilometres walked, or 400 miles. That included getting lost, tourist treks, and any other recorded steps. Three, over 600 photos taken. Four, 99 kilometres by train. I also travelled by ferry from Portugal to Spain across the Mino River. Five, 35 degrees was the highest temperature. I don't think it was ever lower than about 12 to 15. Number six, 30 days away, one in Lisbon, most of them walking, a couple of rest days and one in Santiago. And two travelling, either way. Number seven, I met and interacted with people from 22 different countries. Number eight, 11 minutes and 53 seconds per kilometre was the quickest pace on the day I walked with an Irish couple from Tipperary. And incidentally, 13 minutes, 56 seconds per kilometre was the slowest due to many, many blisters and a painful baby toe. Number nine, 60 cents was the lowest price I paid for a cup of coffee one day and it was good. Number 10, zero drops of rain. A couple of foggy, misty mornings, familiar to those of us who might have grown up on the Atlantic coast, but absolutely no rain. When I reflected on the journey afterwards, I came up with four words to sum up each of those weeks. Week one, was all about survival. Week two was a struggle. Week three, I was in my stride. And week four was satisfaction. So I'm going to share a couple of stories and reflections on each of those weeks. And I think they often sum up any type of journey. It can be difficult in the beginning, just finding your bearings and keeping the basics in mind. And then you struggle to get up to speed with things. And then once you're up to speed with everything, you're in your stride. And then after some time, you can look back in satisfaction and feel like you're in the right place. Before I set off on this journey at all, I relocated from Geneva to Oxford in late August 2018. And then in early September, a couple of days later, I flew to Lisbon with a backpack, some advice and a guidebook. I was fit, but I had done very little planning. So even on arrival in Lisbon, I realised I needed an extra day there just to think about the route for the first few days and get into the zone. So I did. And then I set off from Lisbon that morning with a spring in my step. I was ready for the road, or so I thought. (laughs) I was there to think about the future and what I was going to spend the next number of years focused on. I was calling it my mini retirement. I was between jobs. Well, actually, I had left a job, but I knew I was going to start my own business. And this journey was going to give me that time to think. The weather was hot, 
very hot. Like I said, 35 degrees, which is high 80s, maybe into the 90s Fahrenheit. And those first few days were very much the extended suburbs and out of Lisbon. Not very nice. Hard going, concrete, flat roads and so on. And almost immediately my feet started to ache. (laughs) And within a few days, my blisters were bad. The first person I met on, on the Camino was a lady called Doris and she was German and I think she was doing her seventh or eighth Camino. She was retired and she had everything down pat. She knew exactly what she was doing. And I met her at a cafe at lunchtime And we got chatting and I can remember her sitting there talking to me and saying that she had a song to accompany her journey. And it was, this is my Camino, this is my Camino, da-da-na-na-na-da-da-na-na-na. And I must say that that stuck with me and came to mind so many times over the next few weeks. I remember getting into a town, Santarum, which was the first kind of proper town outside of Lisbon I'd maybe been walking for four days and the blisters were really starting to show. I went into a pharmacy and I can remember going up to the guy and looking at him and pointing at my feet and saying I need some new and he goes feet (laughs) and I thought yeah that would be absolutely fantastic because by then I was ready to trade my feet in for new ones and the weird thing about was was I never really got blisters every now and then I got them but not like this and my boots were well worn in i'd been using them for years i'd walked in the alps with them and all of that so anyway i got blisters and those first few days that first week that survival week was all about my feet what i was going to eat and where i was going to sleep everything else faded into the background I didn't have time to think about anything. Oh, and the other thing was following the yellow signs. Not the yellow brick road, but the yellow signs. So the Camino route has these yellow arrows along the way. Miss one of them. (laughs) Isn't fun. And that is something I really learned was I had to be present. I had to be present to see those signs. A wandering mind would lead to a wander off the route. Walking from Santarum to the next town, it was a Sunday and I remember because most things were closed on a Sunday, as they are in much of of mainland Europe. And I got to a town where I could hear noise (laughs) so I knew there was something open and I had my lunch there and I bumped into a German guy, Joachim, retired also and he was so happy to see somebody and I was kind of still like I want to be on my own and my feet were hurting and I was a bit miserable which is very unlike me but I was. And once he heard I was Irish, he was like, oh, that's great. You're going to make the journey shorter and you'll entertain me and you have a great sense of humor and you're full of fun. And to be honest, it was probably the best thing ever. We have a saying in Ireland, 
Gireen Bert Boher, which is two people shorten the journey. And that is absolutely what we happened, what happened. We had a bit of a horrible walk on a narrow road, very, very busy, and we entertained each other. From that point on, I was often bumping into other people. And you were very much on the Camino now, whereas between Lisbon and Santarem, I hardly saw any other people. Now I was meeting people and meeting the same people over and over again, which was really quite nice because you would arrive somewhere in the evening and share food with people and stories of the day and so on. My feet became a bit of a talking point because they were pretty bad. So that was my first week, the week of survival and then the second week was really about the struggle (laughs) the struggle was real and it sounds ridiculous now but there was a physical struggle with my feet and there was a mental struggle with the heat and my feet and there was one day in particular that I remember 124 hours and himself who I would phone every evening was telling me I needed to take a break. And I was like, no, 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 no. I have to keep going now. I'm on this journey. I'm following this guidebook. The routes are mapped out. And I was walking big distances in and around 30 kilometers, like maybe close to 20 miles a day in the heat. And I was determined to follow those stages, just like everyone else was doing. And it would set off like before dawn and then walk through most of the day. And in that kind of heat, it's really not advisable, especially with those feet. And I know I'm laboring the point about the feet, (laughs) but they were in a lot of pain. Anyway, I decided I was breaking with this following the route because actually there were places to stop in between. I didn't need to be just struggling. So I stopped at this hostel that someone had recommended. I washed clothes. It was a nice early stop for the day, but the evening was not very nice there. There were two other people with me that evening in the hostel. There was a gentleman from the north of Ireland and a lady from the Netherlands. And both of them just seemed to suck my energy. It was probably the place I was in, but also they couldn't understand each other. So I spent a lot of the evening translating in English because they were both speaking in English between the two of them, but their accents were quite strong and neither of them seemed to have the patience to listen to the other. So it was a bit like the United Nations for an evening. And then I went to bed. I slept very badly. It was uncomfortable. It was hot. There was some plastic sheeting on the bed. And it was just all a bit miserable. And when I woke up in the morning, I banged my head off the bunk that was above me. I spilled water everywhere. It was just like one of those days where you get out of bed on the wrong side and everything seems to go wrong. So I set off walking later than I was supposed to, but I would make the town, I thought, that I was meant to be in the previous evening by 9am. And if I did that, then I'd make good progress. It was a beautiful morning. I walked and I walked and I was starting to enjoy myself. 
I got to this big crossroads and there were no yellow signs anywhere. Not a single yellow arrow. And I realised I hadn't seen one for quite some time. I think there was a garage or something and I managed to ask and I had come way off the route. So I actually had to backtrack and get back to wherever I could find a yellow arrow. It was something like five or six kilometres out of my way. I finally got somewhere for coffee and I realised, okay, I do need a break. This is ridiculous. So (laughs) I booked into a hotel in the next town, which was seven or eight kilometres away. I had my coffee and off I went. It took everything in me to get to that town. And I can remember stopping on the top of a hill, exhausted, exhausted. And just sitting there thinking, I'm just going to wait now until somebody finds me. Just going to sit here. Somebody will come along and they'll help me. It was grim. And then, as I would do when times felt tough, I would think about my late sister Aoife, who in her 33 years never took a single step. And that would help me get up and moving. I could walk a couple of blisters and the heat weren't going to stop me. I was able-bodied. I was full of life. I just needed to reach the next town. And I would also, on those occasions when it became too much, think of my late friend, Billy. Billy's dead 20 years and he was so full of life. He was always full of life and laughter. And just thinking about what he might say to me or what witty comment he might make would get me smiling and moving. And it's amazing how even the people we lose are always with us. We just need to think about them. And people that die young, I don't know, it gives that extra spark in, am and I lucky to be here? Get on with it. (laughs) Anyway, I found my way to the hotel and I got as far as the receptionist and she just looked at me and she went, breathe breathe and so I did and then I checked in and I said to her have you got availability tomorrow night and she said I do and she said why don't you sort that out later and I said no I want to do it now and pay now because if I don't I know me and I will get up in the morning and I will just go again I spent 36 hours in air conditioning bathing my feet in salt water and just calming down I guess and re-planning the rest of the trip. When I set off again my feet were still sore but I was at least taking better care of them and more mindful of them and that morning walking this dog was really growling and running after me and barking and I got quite cross with him. (laughs) I was used to dogs growing up and so I became quite adamant that he wasn't going to come near me and at the same time I could hear someone shouting that they were coming to my rescue and who was it? Only Joachim the German and I hadn't seen Joachim for a couple of days and so we 
stopped for lunch, we chatted, and then we both agreed we would stay in the same town that evening, but we would walk our own way and meet on the outskirts of the town, which we did. And what an evening we had. We stayed in this hostel. It was a small hostel at the back of somebody's house and they were so friendly. And then these two other guys arrived, an Italian and an Algerian, both living in Sweden. The Italian was an absolute bundle of life and laughter. He lifted my spirits so much, all of ours, I think. And then the guys in the hostel were so good, the family, they drove us to the nearest restaurant so we could have dinner and then picked us up later. I mean, talk about hospitality. And then we all went off on our separate ways again. I met Joachim the next night for dinner in the next big town. And then he was having a rest and I was going on. And a couple of things happened in the next few days. On the Sunday, I set off after having dinner with Joachim on Saturday night and I set off on my own early morning. Again, everything closed. And I stopped for coffee somewhere. Eventually, some place was open. And then I stopped to change my socks, which is a routine I'd gotten into changing my socks. <laughs> and I took off one of my blister plasters because it was coming off to change it. And I think with it came part of my baby toe. And honestly, I mean, I'm wincing now even saying this because I still remember it. But the amazing thing was almost at that instant, I heard somebody speaking and it was an American lady and she just started talking to me, which completely distracted me from what was going on. Then her husband arrived and before I knew it, I had dressed my foot and my socks were back on and we were all walking together. And we were talking about my feet and <laughs> the husband was talking about, I think it was on another Camino route where there is a prayer for the feet in some hostel on a nightly basis. And he reckoned that that's probably what I needed. And then the next day was a Monday and for some reason, nothing was open, nothing. <laughs> like the cafes that were in the guidebook seemed to be shut down permanently or the towns were just closed. And I walked for hours and I was just fed up now of being on the road. I bumped into an American lady and a Belgian guy who I'd met several times earlier on the trip. And I was saying to them about the road and how I'd noticed I had really slowed down. And it was taking me longer to get places than I thought it would. And I remember she said to me, did you ever think, Susan, that maybe you needed to slow down? Wow. <laughs> that was exactly what I needed to hear. And I thought about that as I walked on towards the next town. And I more or less made up my mind that I was going to then skip the next two steps and get the train because it was just too much. And I really needed to see the sea. I really, really needed to see the sea. And so this car started to hoot at me. I was like, oh my God, here we go again. These drivers, this is it. I really need to get off the road. And the car pulled up alongside and rolled down the window. I was like, whoa, what's gonna happen here? And the driver says, Santiago? And I said, yeah. 
and he reached down and pulled out a plastic bag that had two apples and a bottle of cold water. Wow, how amazing. Some people like the kindness of strangers. I got to the next town. I booked the train for the morning and then the next morning I made my way to the train station and I felt all sorts of mixed feelings. I felt guilty about what I was doing. I felt delighted to no longer be on the road. I felt kind of embarrassed to tell anyone that this is what I was doing. I mean, I had just had so many mixed emotions and I think I justified it to myself by saying, right, well, Long ago, if you were a pilgrim and a donkey and cart and person obviously came alongside you and offered you a lift to Santiago, you'd probably have taken it. At least I would have. Uh, so this train was the modern day donkey and cart. And off I went. I got to Porto, which was the next big town. And it was amazing to get back into a city after so long being out in rural Portugal. And I was walking from the train station to the hostel and something caught my eye and I stopped and I backed back and in the window was a sign. This is my journey. Wow. <laughs> it was like the permission I needed. It was amazing. I got to the hostel, checked in and the lady that was showing me around the hostel asked me what I was doing and I told her what I had just done. And she said, you're so much livelier and in better form than most people who come here that have done that route. And I thought, wow, <laughs> I'm so glad I skipped those two last days. But also it is tough. It was a tough journey. And she said to me, if I were you, I would skip the next stage and then take the train out of Porto. It's just industrial estates and start from the next stage and that's exactly what I did I took her advice and I took the train and we're into week three now I was in my stride it was so easy to walk and my feet were more or less better at this stage but when I saw the sea I like I felt it in every fiber of my being the sea was just everything to me it really was it restored me in so many ways yeah that sea it wasn't great for swimming at least in Portugal it wasn't but for bathing my feet in the evening it was perfect there was more people now some people start the journey from Porto and I was seeing all these newbies on the road and I felt like I was well into my stride and it was amazing then I started to meet more people and have interactions with people. And I spent two wonderful days walking with a guy, Chris from Canada. It was just so lovely. We had the most amazing conversations as we walked along boardwalks and beaches, into towns. We shared meals. Fantastic. I mean, I was really in my stride. It was just wonderful. I got into Spain, to Galicia. Wow. I mean, wow. I had no idea how diverse Spain was until I got to Galicia. And although most people didn't speak English, it seemed to me, it didn't matter. They were just so fab 
and friendly that I just loved it. And I can remember one place in particular, Vigo, this beautiful town, Vigo. Wow. I remember stopping in Vigo and being in a little cafe and having my my supper and I had a glass of wine and the lady didn't speak any English at all. So I said, and she looked at me as much as to say, which one? And and I just put my hand up to my mouth and I went like that, like just something delicious. And she looked at me and she just registered and she kind of said, yes, I know exactly the one. And she brought me this gorgeous glass of white wine. And before I knew it, I was in the last week. And now the walking was satisfying. Like this was just what I was there for. (laughs) I could follow the yellow signs and they were more frequent in Spain anyway. And there were more people on the route. So it was easier. By then, I was just enjoying the landscape, enjoying the walk, enjoying the freedom. And kind of going, I don't want this to end. And I can remember when I told himself that I didn't want to stop walking. I think he thought I had lost the plot completely because I didn't want it to end. The journey was just beginning. And then on the very last day, I can remember setting off on that road to Santiago. And it was like a festival. There were just seemed to be people coming out of the woodworks, narrow country lanes, everybody walking joyously. And there were some people dressed up in various regalia. And it was just cool. And I passed these people or came close to these people. And one of them turned to me and went, oh, you're that Irish lady we met in Pantron. And I thought to myself, am I? Because I had no clue who these people were. But it turned out that I'd been walking with two other people and they had gotten chatting while I was gone to the loo or something like that. And when I came back, they must have seen me. I didn't really register them and they set off. What an amazing gift it was to meet Phil from New Zealand, Catherine and Caroline from South Africa. It was a day I will never, ever forget. We had such a fantastic time walking. We laughed so much on that road to Santiago. We exchanged stories. We talked about our lives. It was just so rich. And they were the closest in age to me, I think, people that I'd met on the whole journey. We stopped at a cafe in some random town. And the guy in the cafe had worked in Tralee. Now, Tralee is a town about 30 miles from where I grew up. (laughs) Like, how random is that? And he posed for a photo with us and he wished us well. And we just, I think we were all alive with laughter. I mean, I just remember laughing so much that day. And then as we got closer to Santiago, we became quiet as we all reflected, I guess, on the intention that we had for that journey, the person we'd become on that journey. And then we got there, Santiago de Compostela, into this big square, took photos, cheered, hugged. That evening, I went out with those three, with Phil, Caroline and Catherine, and what an amazing evening. I had so much crack. It really was brilliant. Guys, if you listen forever, you've got a place in my heart. It was just an amazing, 
an amazing end to that journey. The next morning I got up early and I went and collected my certificate for walking the Camino. I went to the mass for the pilgrims in the cathedral. And then I got to the cathedral square again just after Joachim arrived. He let me know and we greeted each other like old friends. It was just so fantastic to see him. I didn't manage to meet Chris again because he came a couple of days after me and I had already left for the UK. That was it. Survival, struggle, stride and satisfaction. They were the four weeks of the Camino journey. What did I learn? And even though some of the things I learned, I think I still need to learn. These were the things that I really learned. That I don't have to make life harder than it has to be. Sometimes the road less travelled is so for a bloody good reason. That it is better to make your own journey or make the journey yours than to follow somebody else's route. That following those yellow arrows keeps you present and keeps you in the moment. That no matter how fit and healthy, strong and resilient you are, your feet, your body is precious and you need your feet to help you take that next step. How important our basic needs are and how simple our needs really are. Travelling lightly is the way to travel. It is freeing and satisfying. Girin, Bert and Bohert. Two or more shorten that journey. And as much fun as it was and as satisfying as it was to walk that alone, Much of the richness of my journey came from the interactions I had with other people, people from 22 different countries along the way. It is always about the people. Thank you for listening to that. I hope you came with me on that journey from Lisbon to Santiago to Compostela and if you've ever thought about doing it there are many many different routes to take throughout Europe Spain and Portugal and I highly recommend it do it alone do it with others do it in stages do it whatever way you want but do it sometime if you have ever thought about it so now the next four weeks are back to the book And I do believe it will be a bit about survival, (laughs) struggle, stride and satisfaction. Maybe not quite week by week and maybe not quite those words, but there is always a journey. And this is the next part of mine. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the paths we traversed on today's episode. If something rang through for you, be sure to let me know. Or maybe you can share this with someone in your life who would benefit from listening too. 
And if you enjoy helping others, I'd be so grateful if you would leave a review so that people who might also be curious about their own life beyond the numbers can discover this podcast too.